so we're so glad. We're so glad that we have so many people watch for the road involved in so many different kinds of ministries. Thank you for what you do, uh, whether it's uh, greeting people or uh, whatever uh, your ministry happens to be. It's such a great blessing to have you here. So welcome to Watch Fair Road. Welcome to our, our live stream folks, folks in both rooms. Glad you're here. Uh, we're going to start with our scripture reading. Christian Lowry is going to come and read our verse for us. Let's see here. Let me grab you a mic here. Let's see. Now, you recently, uh, uh, you were 15, is that correct? Mm-hmm. And... We're not going to talk about the hat you got on, but uh, but you recently went on the Tuba City mission trip, right? Yes. Thank you for doing that, and uh, I'm telling you that's that's a really unique experience in Tuba City, Arizona, with our work on the Navajo Reservation. Our group of our folks just went. Grateful you went for that. Would you read our verse for us this morning? For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Luke fourteen eleven. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that very, very much. Good job. Good job. Also, as I'm sure you're aware of, of uh, Veterans Day this weekend, and I always am grateful and thankful for those who uh, have served our country. Of course, some giving their own lives. I'm always conscious and think of Chad Powell. And one of our own from this church right here who gave his life and uh, fight for his country. Uh, if you are a uh, veteran, would you, uh, in either room, uh, both rooms, would you please stand for just a moment if you're a veteran? Please stand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. I... Uh, my brother uh, is a veteran as well as my dad was a veteran. My dad, World War II. My brother, Vietnam War. Uh, and I'm just so proud uh, of their service and proud of folks that uh, uh, take that commitment on. So it's, it's well worth the, uh, the honor. Give honor to whom honors do, Paul said in the book of Romans. So, <coughs> Luke chapter 14. I'll by the way, let me remind you of one more thing. We have a, uh, a world radio speaker or a team of speakers. One of those guys named in Nepal, and one of the guys' names is Pramod. And uh, we got a message from Pramod uh, this morning that their team uh, is going into the earthquake area. There was an earthquake in Nepal, and uh, and so we have a team of guys over there connected with us that are going into that area that are going to be working, assessing the needs, and figuring out what to do. And so we'll be telling you some more about that. But uh, that's a great uh, a ministry over there of uh, evangelism as well as relief. And so uh, you'll be hearing more about that later. But I just want to remind you, as a matter of fact, before we go any further, let's just have a prayer for them. Father in heaven, thank you for the way you bless us to be connected all over the world. And Father, for... Our connections in Nepal, we pray for Pramod and his team of guys that are uh, going into the mountains and into the areas devastated by this earthquake. Bless them, Father. I know winter's coming on, and so a lot of those people are going to be in deep need. Please uh, give them exactly what they need. Help us to know best how to help from here. I'm grateful, Father, that 
You're already doing work there through people we're connected to. We ask your blessings upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 14. Let's just get right into this. <clears throat> the title of this is called The Challenge and Cost of Being a Disciple. Uh, if you just read this chapter, you wouldn't, uh, I mean, uh, you, you wouldn't need a sermon, although I hope you'll stay. Uh, you wouldn't need a sermon, right? Uh, you just read this and Jesus gets, you get the challenge from Jesus pretty quick. Let's do a little bit of reading. One Sabbath when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Okay? So he's at, the, he's in, he's at this house and it's going to be a banquet and he's with this prominent religious guy. And he knows people are watching him. they got an eye on him. And it's on the Sabbath. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. So he opens up this time in this guy's house. And by the way, how this guy with dropsy got there or anything, I'm not sure. Uh, He's just out there in the outer areas or whatever as they're gathered up because he wouldn't have been invited in. I mean, this is a Pharisee on the Sabbath who's got everything clean and in order in his religious world. And to bring someone unclean into that, into that context, he's not going to do that. Yet, so Jesus starts out by saying, of course, I mean, he knows, he knows their hearts, right? So he starts out with a challenge right off the bat, with their own religion. Here's what I want you to get out of these first six verses. Legalism closes the heart. So make sure we stay open. Now, they're blinded by their rules so much that they have devised a religion that kept them from helping people who were in the greatest need. Now, this, uh, in case you're not familiar with dropsy, basically it's endema. It's the swelling of the body. Uh, I mean, not swelling like I have. Uh, Swelling, extreme swelling, and retaining all this fluid, and yet at the same time when you have this, you have this uh, 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 lack of satisfaction of thir- you're thirsty, and yet the very thing you can't take in is more fluid. And it's going to be accompanied with congestive heart failure, kidney failure. Most of the time was always, always linked with the heart, which I think is Kind of ironic that heart failure is what he cures among people who have heart failure. Hear the silence? That's what they were. You would think if you just witnessed someone who was so hurting and miserable physically 
and you watch them instantaneously, I mean just boom, by one word from Jesus, be healed, you would think there would be a roar up to heaven, praising God for the great miracle that just took place in a, in a man's life. And instead, their response was silence. Legalistic people do not know how to praise God. Because legalism chokes the very praise and glory down their throats and gives it, gives it to themselves instead of to God. Just think about that one. What a beginning to walking in a guy's house who's a well-known religious guy. The first thing you do is silence them, and they're all watching you. Look what happens next. Verse 7 through 14. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, so they're all, they walk in here, and there's the banquet set up, and they're all going to their places. He tells them a story. He tells them a parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both you, uh, both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place so that when you, the, your host comes, he will say to you, friend, Move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. And then Jesus says to the host. He's talked to the guest. Now to the guy hosting the thing. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers and relatives, and your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you, you'll have to be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Here's what he says on this. In the first few verses, you see legalism closes the heart. So be open. The second section... Pride closes the eyes. So be humble. Pick your seat wisely. Pick your guest wisely. Because your choices reveal your heart. Now, have you, ever, have you ever done that? Have you ever been asked to move? Uh, maybe you sat in somebody's pew at church. Somebody said, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that's where I sat. Can't you see my pillow and footstools there and whatever else, you, my blankets over the end of the pew? You know, have you ever been to those places? No, that doesn't happen. That would never, be, never would it happen here. Because we have chairs, not pews anymore. But people know where they sit, right? Uh, I like to go to baseball games, professional baseball games. And, and I won't do this with Susan because she will not allow it. But if I'm there by myself and we go an inning or two and I don't have a very good seat and I see a bunch empty down there and it don't look like anybody's sitting in them, guess what? I just make my way down there like I belong. 
I go down there like I'm somebody and I sit in that closest seat I can get because I won't ride down there in the middle of the action. Until somebody showed up late for the game and said, excuse me, uh, is this seat such a, because that's what my number is. And, the, and I want to just say, oh, I'm sorry, I've got that mixed up, but I really just, look, okay, you caught me. I confess, I had envy for your seat. I will return to the lower uh, economic realm of things. And <laughs> He said, look, don't put yourself out there like you're somebody. Be humble. Now that's such a simple statement, but it's probably one of the hardest things to practice. And especially when everybody around you tells you how good you are at something. Have you ever seen that? Uh, I mean, you've got some kid and he's coming up, he's young, he's a great athlete, he starts doing good and, and he's humble about it and everything. Till everybody starts telling him how great he is, the next thing you know, he starts believing it. And, he might, and what's even worse, he might really be that good. And yet the lack of humility kills him in the end. Because when he gets corrected by somebody, he can't stand it. Why, don't they know who I am? Can you imagine that uh, Pharisee? Don't you think he was thinking, doesn't Jesus know who I am? I'm a prominent Pharisee. I'm top dog in the religion here. And I've got my guests and they're all important people. And now you're telling them to be humble? Not only is he telling the guests to be humble, he tells the host... Why are you inviting all these people that can repay you? Why didn't you invite... Look, this group's going to come up again in the next part of this section. The crippled, the lame, the blind. Why didn't you invite that group? By the way, they are that group and don't even realize it. He wasn't interested in other people. He was interested in what it could bring to himself. Selfishness is such a killer in Christianity. Well, then he look at this next section, verse 15 through 24. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, I kind of tried to picture this situation. They're all at this house, and there's already been silence once where Jesus healed this guy. And so they don't know what to say. And then they kind of move into the banquet. And then Jesus tells them a story to humble them. And then they're kind of silenced again, right? And then all of a sudden, so it's kind of like, will somebody break this awkward silence? And so this guy sitting there at the table, he just says, uh, Blessed is the man who eat at the feasts in the kingdom of God. You know, just say something that sounds religious and good. You know, let's break this awkward silence here. Then Jesus tells another story. He replies, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at that time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited to come, for everything's now ready. So they would invite, the word would go out in town. They, you know, uh, uh, they would send servants out to invite people. And then they would tell them it's coming up here next day or two. Then when the when then when the uh, then when the meal got ready, then they would send them back. Hey, it's ready now. It's coming. It's the first invite. The second is the follow up that says now it's ready. So the guy says, "Hey, come for everything is now ready." 
But they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another one said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married. I can't come. My wife won't let me. Oh, I'm sorry, it doesn't say that, but... The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. I love that group. They just keep showing up, don't they, in the stories. Sir, the servant said, What you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in uh, so that my house will be full. I, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So what he basically says here, remember, legalism closes the heart. Pride closes the eyes. Excuses closes the door. They've been invited. Of all people... The Jews understood this whole concept of the kingdom and the banquet. And they're the ones expecting to be invited to the greatest banquet ever by the king. The invitation goes out. And yet all of a sudden they start making excuses. He says, I'll tell you what, go out there to those people you don't want to have anything to do with and tell them to come in. Who are they? Who do they represent in the story? The Gentiles. Well, first even the sinners and tax collectors who were Jews that the Pharisees didn't want to have anything to do with. And then the rest, the Gentiles. Remember Romans 1? Where he says, Paul says, I'm not ashamed, verse 6, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and then to the Greek or the Gentiles. The invitation came through the Jewish people. Jesus came through that bloodline. And here he says, I'm here, the King of Kings. I'm here ready for you. And the invite goes out to them who they should have been ready for the invite and come instantly and recognize who he was just by the prophets of old. Yet instead of those who should have received him, John 1, they, his own people rejected him. And yet the invitation now is out there for everybody. And so the people who think they don't deserve an invitation get invited. People who say, you don't want to have me in, a, in your house or at your banquet, they're the ones that get the best seat. Pull them in. That's who we're all about. All three excuses equal the dog ate my homework. Have you ever uh, used that one? Probably not, but you've all heard it, right? What happened to your homework? Son? Well, the dog ate my homework. Yeah, yeah, right. How many? Really, really? At least theirs were believable, right? Well, I bought some land. I'm be- all theirs were legal. They, there was nothing sinful about their actions, except for the fact that they took priority over the one that invited them. Even the one about, I just got married. Even in the Jewish law, they allowed the guy not to go to war for a year. To stay, learn how to be a good husband, provider for his family. 
He even had a biblical excuse. But the problem was, it's still an excuse. Excuses close the door. So be warned. They didn't really want to be there. Have you ever tried to uh, befriend someone that really didn't want to be your friend? Have you ever tried to love someone that uh, they didn't really want to be there to be loved on? Have you ever tried to reach out to someone, you care and love for them, but they don't really have any care or love back? This is the picture of God. Inviting. And has done all this because he loves them and prepared this great... And what do they do? They say, I don't really want to be with you right now. Can you imagine that? These were religious people. These were the ones Gary Glenn talked about in his class this morning. They had the form of godliness wrapped around them. I loved how he did it in his in Gary in Gary Glenn's uh, theological academic language. He said they were like M and M's with nothing inside. <laughs> I like that. That would be very disappointing to bite into one of those, wouldn't it? Man, kind of making me hungry right now. You know, nothing inside. Form, nothing inside. Let's look at this next little section. Any one of these sections could be a whole sermon to themselves. He moves now from the group at the banquet into a crowd outside. Now, crowds have been following him. They've been gathering up. There are people who have seen him when he's come to their hometown and, they, and they've watched him. You imagine you're, you're a person, you're there, you've watched Jesus, you started following him, now you're telling, look Jesus, I saw you do this great miracle here, I saw you feed thousands here, I want to be with you. And they become very familiar with him. And now they're, they're here in this crowd waiting to, and now look, if you're a church growth guy, you're like doing, you're trying to think of all the strategies to get big crowds, right? It's interesting, because Jesus violates all those strategies because he thins out the crowd. He thins it out. And that's what true discipleship does. It closes the ranks. Because you have to be committed. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to him, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, his wife, the children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What's he talking about there? Loyalty. Loyalty. That the things you love the most, there's such a distance between that and Jesus that you love. That there's that contrast of hate and love. No, he's not talking about that you hate your family. Well, he just, tell, just said a few chapters earlier, you love your enemies, right? It's not that. It's that using that language to try to get to the strongest point that says the loyalty has to be this much compared to where it was here. Boy, it's strong loyalty there. Then he says, 
Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot. Not may not. Not I hope, I hope, I hope he might make it, but I don't know. He cannot be my disciple. That's sacrifice. Take up the cross. Follow Jesus. Well, where's he going? To a hill. To a cross. That's where he's going. He's going through a crowd of everybody hating him. People whipping him. Calling him all kinds of things. Mocking him. That's where he's going. Sacrifice. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Suppose the king's about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider, think about it, whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and he'll ask for terms of peace. And in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's neither fit for the soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown out. He who has ears to ear, let him hear Loyalty, sacrifice, and surrender. That's what it takes to be a disciple. Say those things with me. Loyalty, sacrifice, surrender. One more time. Loyalty, sacrifice, surrender. Jesus says, stop being useless. Start being devoted. I think... When I look at the religious world, I'm afraid I see a lot of unconverted believers. There are people who are very familiar with Jesus, but aren't followers. There are people who are curious, but not converted. You see, when you become a Christian, when the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus touches your heart, you make a decision. I was studying with a guy this this weekend. I had a had a happened to have a, I borrowed a pen from the counter. We were at a restaurant. So I went up there and borrowed a pen. I had a had an old envelope in my pocket or something. I pulled it out, laid it down, and I drew out the gospel drawing. It's like you see right back here. And I just started going through it. Not even a long time. I go through how much God loves him, even though regardless, while we were yet sinners, Christ died so when I was doing my ugliest thing possible, God looked down and saw me and was sending Jesus to die for me in my most rebellious moment. Think about that. When I was in that 
bar or I was in that bed or I was in that place I'd had no business being. God is looking and says, while you're yet a sinner, Christ died for you. That's why I love Romans 5 because then he says, if that's true, how much more than is he pulling for you to do the right thing? So I lay out the gospel to him. I draw my little diagram that shows baptism. We talk about how the gospel takes care of all man's problems. It takes care of his sin problem because the blood of Jesus. It takes care of the grave problem. You're going, everybody's going to die because Jesus came out of the ground. It takes care of your life problem because he, now that you become a Christian, you're still going to struggle. Yet Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God and sends his Holy Spirit to live in you. So they shared the gospel with him, shared what happens at baptism. That you are reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's why it's called the new birth. It's not about the water. It's about the grace experience that takes place. Because you are committing your life to God. By saying, I want his story, his death, burial, I want his story to be my story. So there you die and you're buried and you're raised. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you start all over brand new. Right then. That day. I sat down. I was just going through this. He said. You I mean you want me to do that today? I said. Hey today would be great. I, 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 it ain't what I want though. This is about God loving you. What your response is to him. He, he didn't make a move on it. I ain't giving up on him. Because he's not a prospect. He's a friend. See, you don't give up on friends. You keep loving them. Whether they respond or not. But I shared the gospel with him. And he knows there's a cost involved. Because all of a sudden he's going to have to give up everything to be a disciple. You gotta understand. Sin doesn't make you bad. It makes you dead. Jesus doesn't make you good. He makes you alive. Got it? So you go from being dead to alive when you make that commitment to be a disciple of Christ. Don't come to this church. Of course, now some people, the elders are probably getting nervous just by the fact I started that statement by don't come to this church. Don't come to this church to just be familiar with Jesus. You come and join this group of people to be a follower of Jesus. Discipleship is about a commitment and dedication and devotion that said, not that I'm perfect, it's because He's perfect. And I've made a decision, I'm surrendering all to Him. Just like the old song says, I surrender all. And that's what, not Mike Kellett, that's what God is asking 
might tell it to do. This ain't the preacher asking the church to do something. This is God asking me to do something. And I want to I wanna surrender all. And it's a daily surrender from then on out, right? Would you join me in surrendering all? If you've never named the name of Jesus and been baptized into Christ, I implore you, please commit your life to Jesus. Don't make an excuse. Come today. Regardless, come. He'll take care of whatever brokenness exists in your life. God's grace is more than enough to handle your heart and your problems. Come. Let's stand. Let's sing.